Amen. Amen. What a great hymn. What a great hymn. If you have a Bible, open up with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 through 6 this morning as we continue in our um, series titled Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Sermons on the Godhead. It's a good thing to think about the Lord. A good thing to to reflect on who God is so that we can worship Him and obey Him better. If you have your Bibles open there, I wish you would please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His Gospel. And oh God, we thank You for God the Father, who we will think about, learn about today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I'm sure you already know, there's a lot that can be learned from names. Now just think about those sweet babies that were up here just a little bit ago. One of the first questions we ask when those babies are born is, what's their name? I always love it when a first bat we use a little app here in the office called Slack where you can send messages to each other. And one of the first things we do when a new baby's born here, somebody sends out a message to the whole staff saying, well, how much they weighed, what time they were born, and what their name is. It's part of how we announce that they're here. Many of you have children, and people will ask you, why are your children named what they're named? What's the story? I get those questions a lot about my own children. Now, why are your children named the names that they're named? And they all have family names. Some children have biblical names. Some people uh, have names that just their parents liked. They just saw it somewhere or learned about it somewhere and liked it. But there's almost always a story behind our names. I get the question all the time. Why is your name spelled with only one T? And, uh, well, it's a family name. So it's spelled with one T because it's a family name. And my mom knew I would like to talk a lot one day, so she wanted me to be able to answer questions for the rest of my life about why I only have one T in my name. No, it's a family name. So Matthew with one T. And so I have to say that all the time. No, it's Matthew with one T, Alexander. We can often learn a lot about someone from their name. We can learn a lot about, a, a lot about things from the name that they have, which means that we ought to pay very careful attention. We ought to be pay very careful attention to the ways God is named in Scripture. What are the names of God that we see? Many of you have probably done stories on the different names of God from the Old Testament, but I want to focus on one name today. In particular, we turn our attention to the first person of the Trinity, whose name in Scripture is Father. You'll be reminded, I hope, of the way our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. What did He say? 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name be revered. I, I think we can have a tendency a little bit to skip over the fact that we call God Father. We just sort of just kind of get over it too quickly sometimes. To call God Father, though, is a beautiful thing. We can't allow it to become a sort of common thing to us to be able to call God Father, but we must think through this name and what it means about who God is. This morning, we're going to continue our journey into the Godhead, into learning about who God is and what God does. And this morning, I think we're going to be, begin to sort of understand what it means for the one God. Last Sunday, we talked about Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is no other God. We do not serve three gods, but we are going to begin to learn and understand what it means for the one God to at the same time be three distinct persons. Scott Swain, in his brilliant little book on the Trinity, um, said this, The one God's simple light shines forth in tri-personal glory shining forth from the person of the Father, shining in the person of the Son, and shining upon both the Father and the Son in the person of the Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the glory of the one true God, the one true simple God that shines forth from the person of the Father. I want to show you three truths this morning about God the Father that I believe will help you love, know, and worship Him better and by God's grace more. Here's the first truth I want you to see this morning. There is one God in three persons. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. It's point one, there is one God in three persons. We talked about this last week. There is one Lord. We do not worship three gods. There is one God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter. There is one God. And yet, though there is one God who is a single being, who is infinitely glorious, and is also at the same time simple. There's a simplicity to God. He is indivisible. He's undivided. There's not different aspects of of who God is that separate Him or divide Him. He's not cast asunder in His being. He is singular. Theologians call it simple in His being. But at the same time, He is three persons. Here in these verses, we see all three persons of the Trinity mentioned. Do you see it? I I want you to notice this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here we see all three mentioned, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, spiritual blessings. Now, you may say, well, that's talking about spiritual blessings. I don't know that that's talking about the person of the Spirit, but this section of Ephesians from Verse 3 down into about verse 14 is a single sentence in the original language. And I want you to notice at the end of the sentence, Paul sort of sheds a little more light in verses 13 and 14. He says, In Him, that's Christ also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. In other words, Paul is bringing us back around to the idea of the Spirit here and showing that those spiritual blessings that we receive from the Father through the Son are received by the Spirit. That's why they're spiritual blessings. And so here we see all three members of the Godhead named in personal terms in this passage, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice the word that Paul uses there. He says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? You'll see this all throughout Scripture. The Holy Spirit referred to as a person. A friend of mine, Luke Stamps, in an article he wrote about the Trinity, said it like this, the action of God, that is what God does, it comes from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. And here we have this beautiful verse, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, it's talking about our salvation, the work of God in blessing us through Christ. And we can see already off the bat the way that all three persons are at work to bring us the blessings of God. Now, I hope hurts your brain a little to think about this. One time when I was in seminary, I had a brilliant professor, a uh, church history professor named Tom Nettles. He's a really smart guy. Um, I don't know, you guys may know about this. Have you ever had a, a teacher that's just a little intimidating? Just like a really smart teacher that's kind of intimidating? I, I have. His name's Tom Nettles. Um, and uh, he's a professor, and we were taking a class on this old a uh, famous theolo- American theologian named Jonathan Edwards with Dr. Nettles. And one day he's lecturing on the Trinity. Edwards has this brilliant little piece called An Unpublished Essay on the Trinity. And I got done reading it and said, I know why it's unpublished. You know, it's a pretty intense read. So Edwards is notoriously dense and notoriously hard to follow. And so Dr. Nettles was lecturing on the Trinity one day. And we were tracking with him and listening and like sort of mesmerized. And at some point or another in there, all of us young buck MDiv students, you know, I think we're real smart. We're listening to Dr. Nettles' lecture. And at some point or another, we realized our energy to follow is kind of waning and his is picking up. And at some point or another in the course of that lecture, in those moments, we realized why he was teaching us and we were listening. He sort of turned the afterburners on and left us behind. you know what I mean? You guys ever made this face in class? It's like this. Kind of your eyes glaze over. I've done that before in Dr. Nettle's class. And he looked at us and he said, Are you guys with me? And everybody to a person just kind of shook their head no. Dr. Nettle's busted out laughing. He said, Boys, it's a good thing to think about God. Church, it's a good thing to think about God. It's a good thing to have our mind boggled. But it is true. It's true and it's gloriously true that the Son is eternally begotten of the Father and that the Spirit is eternally breathed out, I would say, from the Father and the Son. And we're going to spend the rest of this sermon series this week and six more thinking through this truth. And the goal is for this to lead us to a more vibrant love for and a more vibrant worship of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. God is uniquely 
glorious. And in His being, He is so glorious that He exists eternally. Because He is so wonderful and so magnificent and so glorious, because of the nature of His being, because of His very existence, He must by His very nature exist eternally as a single being in three persons. I believe that's what the Scriptures teach, and thus this we believe and we confess. The one God is one God in three persons. Second of all, I hope you see this, the first person of the Trinity is the Father. That's our second point this morning. The first person is the Father. The, 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 the Scripture teaches us something here. The text teaches us something else. The first person of the Trinity, the first one named here, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Father's name is a revelation of who He is. And it's essential for us to know His name in order to know who He is. And here Paul is even writing this letter. Grace to you and peace from the God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. You'll notice two things about this person that are described here. First of all, He is God. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? Our Father in heaven, whose name we are to hallow. Our Father in heaven, whom we were introduced to by our brother Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Our Father in heaven, who loves us, who shepherds us, who cares for us. He is God. All throughout the Bible, there's really never been any sort of uh, question in all of church history about whether or not the Father is God. Throughout the New Testament, it's clear that the divinity of the Father is shown to us. So often, I think, we associate some of the things we are less comfortable with in the Old Testament with the Father alone and not with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But as a believer, I think it's important for us to realize we've been taught to call God Father. And any work of God in the Old Testament is a work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And any work of the New Testament is a work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, save for those works what Jesus did alone in His humanity. And so when we look at God the Father, we can feel His love and His care and His presence because He is our Father. And so not only does Jesus give us data and information on what God is like. And not only does the Holy Spirit give us data and information about what God is like, but the very fact that He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ tells us something about what God is like. He loves us because He is our Father. But second, He's also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's something beautiful about Jesus Jesus was not created. This is good news, okay? Jesus wasn't created. The Son was not made. And so, for God to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it cannot simply mean that He became a Father when Jesus was incarnate, when He was born, when He came into the world. For Him to be a Father now must mean that He was always a Father. We look back recognizing that these titles and these names are references to the what we might call the private life of God. The inner workings of the Godhead. And He is the God and Father of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. And this shows us that the Son is begotten of the Father. And I think the Bible teaches and the church has taught forever that the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. Think about it like this. We think, so there's a first person of the Trinity and a second person of the Trinity and a third person of the Trinity. And they've related to one another for all eternity past. The Trinity didn't evolve, it didn't develop. God has always been God and He's always been God in three persons. And so we look back and we think through these things and we understand then if God has always been God in three persons, at what point then did these relationships become what they are? No, they didn't develop, they didn't emerge. God has always been Father to the Son. The Son has always been a Son to the Father. And the Spirit has always been the Spirit breathed out, I believe, from both the Son and the Father. This is always how God has been God. This is always how the persons of the Trinity have related to one another. All the way into eternity past, God has been the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we're seeing as we think through what Paul is saying that this isn't merely a title given to the Father because of the incarnation, but instead it is something that is intrinsic. It's part of His nature as Father. That is, the Father has eternally been the Father, and the Son has eternally been the Son. The Spirit has eternally been the Spirit. It's not a generic relationship. But instead, it's an eternal relationship of father and son. Theologians call this paternity and filiation. The son's always been the son and the father. All right. This, this is so glorious and so deep, it broke the microphone. The first person is the father. There is one God, my friends. There, there is one God. And the one God exists eternally in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the first person of the Trinity is the Father. And we can see this in this text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. He has blessed us in Christ, the Bible says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So what does it mean uniquely then? Uh, let me say this this way. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are united in their will, and they're united in their actions. Whatever it is that God does, it comes from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. And this afternoon, when you're done with your nap, wake up and think about that. Just think about anything God does and try to think through how that's done from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. It's precisely what Paul's arguing for here in Ephesians chapter 1. It comes from the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit that we receive these blessings. 
So then, though, in the internal life of God, in God's private life, what does it mean for the Father to be the Father in particular? What sets Him apart as the Father? What's unique to the person of the Father? I think the most biblical answer and the most beautiful thing we can consider, and we can see it here in this text, is our third point this morning. Praise the Father for His fruitfulness. His fruitfulness. He is the initiator in so many ways. Some theologians call this His fecundity, His fruitfulness. I want you to see that the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. However, each of these three persons is distinct from one another. The Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. They are not each other. And so while all three persons of the Trinity are united in their being and in their godness, in their essence, they are all irreducibly God, they are nonetheless distinct in their persons. And so the Father's fruitfulness is part of what makes the Father the Father. But do you see this fruitfulness in His eternal life? Internal life. He begets the Son eternally. That is, the Son eternally proceeds forth as a Son from the Father. But also with the Son, the Father is eternally breathing forth the Spirit. And so God is fruitful. He is fruitful in His internal life forever and ever, as long as God has existed. And that's forever. The Father has been fruitful. These things come from the Father. But He's also fruitful in His external works. We see the way that our Father has created us. And we see the way that He is the one who is initiating the blessings of salvation. He is the one who is fruitful in giving this blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing from the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him. Again, it's another picture of God's fruitfulness where He is predestining us to adoption in Christ, the Bible says. Choosing us in Christ. This is something He's doing through Jesus. What happened when you got saved? We start to sort of freak out when we think about these things. But God is doing this through the Son. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news of His grace. And then what else happened? By the Spirit, you felt the Lord working and moving in your heart. And what did you do? You heard that gospel call. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you came to the Lord by putting your faith in Him after you heard the gospel. My friends, we don't have to get worried and confused about all those different things. All we need to know is from our end, this is a work of God. He's fruitful in His work. What a blessing He's given us, this blessing of salvation. All we need to know is when we hear the gospel, we respond in repentance and faith. He predestined us, the Bible says, for adoption sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. You see the beauty of who the Father is? Do you see the beauty of His fruitfulness? So I would argue that we'll have a whole sermon on this later but what you're being invited to when you hear the Gospel invitation 
is an invitation into the very heart and life of God. For all eternity past, God has been delighted with God. There's never been a moment where there was a riff in the Trinity. Isn't that beautiful to think about? There was never a two-to-one vote. There's never a majority rule. There's never a time when the Father... Some of us think the... You know, it's important to remember they're all co-equal. So it's not like the Father said, all right, boys, this is what we're doing. It's not how God works. For eternity, God has been perfectly content in being God. He's been perfectly joyful in being God. There's been a perfect delight in God being God. There's never been a moment when the Father looked at the Son and didn't have perfect, infinite, pure, glorious love. There's never been a moment when the Father looked at the Spirit when there wasn't perfect, pure, infinite love there. There's never been a moment when the Spirit reflected back on the Father and the Son and didn't see perfect, glorious love. And that's the life you've been invited into. God's love and His fruitfulness has spilled over out of His own life by His will and by His glorious grace. He spilled over into nothing and created the world out of nothing in order that we might be by grace invited into His personal life. That's the God we serve and that's the sort of fruitfulness that the Father provides. And notice how Paul responds to this glorious truth. He says, To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In other words, God's fruitfulness, the fruitfulness of the Father ought to lead us to erupt in worship and praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be indeed. There's a lot we can learn about a name. When you hear someone's name, when you learn about someone's name, it's important that you pay attention and learn all that you can know about them. And so this morning, what I hope we will learn and think about is what it means to praise, to worship, to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to offer an invitation this morning. And this morning, on behalf of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I want to welcome you into their life by grace. God wants you to be saved through the Son and by the Spirit this morning. So I believe if you'll turn to God in faith through Jesus, repentance and faith, you will be saved. If you need someone to talk to this morning, it would be my joy to welcome you here today. Second of all, you may be a believer. You may say, Pastor, I just want to fall on my knees before the Lord and I want to do that at the altar. You may want to do it right where you are. You may want me to pray with you. What a joy it would be for me to welcome you right down here at the front of the church. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. It would be my joy to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come.